Welcome to the Bonner Private Research Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Bowman. Each week, we bring you exclusive conversations with members of Bill Bonner's private research team, as well as some special guests we'll meet along the way. We're trying to connect the dots, from high finance to lowly politics, private investments to public follies, from Wall Street to Main Street, at home and on the road. We're into sound money, personal freedom, classical books, and great wines. Not always in that order. So join me and the rest of the Bonner Private Research team as we pack our bags and follow the money. Welcome back to the Fatal Conceits podcast, a podcast about money, markets, manias, uh, messiahs, masochists. We could probably come up with a bunch of other descriptive adjectives for the show. But in any case, we're thrilled today to welcome the Bonner Private Research Investment Director, Mr. Tom Dyson, to the show. Tom joins us from the Dyson household in London. Welcome, Tom. Thanks, Joel. (laughs) Good to see you again, mate. Uh, Good to see you, too. We've got a lot to talk about today, um, but I think for your your um, longtime readers, they're interested in uh, just catching up on how the family is doing. I know you mentioned that you guys all got COVID recently. We're we're hoping you're all well and on the mend. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, we we did. We we caught COVID. Uh, all five of us uh, tested positive at the same time, and um, but it, it wasn't a big deal. Like mm-hmm. the mild cold symptoms. The, the highly mild uh, variant. Fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Good, good. Well, uh, glad to hear that uh, that everyone's on the mend. So, mate, before we get into uh, your story and in particular your role as the investment director uh, here at Bonner Private Research and the whole new project that we're undertaking here, uh, I thought maybe we could back up a little bit and just for readers who, or listeners rather, who might be just joining us at the moment, maybe we could start with a little bit of a kind of origin story, uh, if you will. I, I know you got into investing uh, as quite a young lad. Do you want to just kind of pick up the, the beginning of your journey and how that kind of, how that all kind of came to fruition at the very beginning? Yeah, um, my dad uh, was a, a banker, and I, I guess some of it must have rubbed off on me because I, I, I was interested in finance as long as I can remember. And um, one day he spread the, the Financial Times page of all the, the stock market quotes in front of me and um, asked me to, to choose some some stocks. <laughs> I was 11 years old at the time. And I chose Marks and Spencer and Eurotunnel. At mm-hmm. the time, uh, Eurotunnel was just, I don't even know if they'd finished construction of it yet. Um, in fact, they hadn't. Um, I have to go back and look, but I, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so um, what happened was um, within about a year, Eurotunnel had tripled. And I wanted to sell, so but by the time I'd written a letter back to my dad asking him to sell, it it, it had lost some of its gains. But I ended up ended up more than doubling the, my money. And Marks and Spencer, I held for many years. 
um, uh, probably probably two two decades after that, and it didn't really do much. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't a good investment, and I, and I sold it <laughs> uh, probably fifteen years ago or something. But uh, so that 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 really got me got me started. It got that that's where I started my addiction of checking stock prices all the time. I, I would <laughs> grab the Financial Times anytime I could and look up the prices of my of my stocks and uh, I, I and then the internet came along and that 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 addiction just went in, into overdrive yeah the so, internet in, internet's been an uh, an enabler for many a folks addiction i think a good or yeah. bad uh, would leave leave that to be desired but made it yeah it sounds like a pretty auspicious start uh, if nothing else but so you went along i think were you working at um i think it was salomon brothers was it or one of the yeah it, it was um it, Salomon Brothers had just merged and was mm. called Smith Barney, and then while I was there, it turned into Citigroup. Okay. So that was um, that was my first job after college, um, my first serious job, and that was um, in March of two thousand. So literally at the peak of the technology <laughs> bubble. Right. I, I actually the the bubble actually crashed. The first day while I was on the plane in the air flying back to London to to take my my position. So wow. So um, it was <laughs> there was a yeah, warning was quite, sign. <laughs> um, yeah, it was the, the timing was was incredible. Effectively, my my entire professional investing career has been um has kind of been a series of, of bull markets and bear markets. Yeah. Right. Right. All right, well, mate, let's get into a little bit of that because, as uh, I think you may not uh, protest at the at the descriptor as something of a contrarian, uh, you didn't take what would be for many the kind of uh, you know path most travelled, and you have quite a quite a colourful uh, history even from there on out. So, when it comes to traveling and for, for those who have followed your your postcards and your writings over the years it's it's not uh you know club med type traveling tom is is a pretty uh extreme traveler going to you know weird and wonderful places and traveling on trains and you know all this kind of stuff so how did your interest in traveling and travel writing and investing kind of converge and in particular how did that bring you up to uh, working with Bill, which would have been around, I guess, just a few years after that, maybe early 2000s. Yeah, two, 2003, I think, I wrote to Bill and asked him for a job. I told him I'd quit my job at, at Citigroup on the trading floor and I'd go and work for him for free. And uh, it, didn't, it didn't quite work out how I imagined, um, but it did work out in the end. So I was never a writer. I was never... But I could admit to you that um, I failed my English GCSE, which, which, uh, which one, which you should have been pretty easy. I mean, it's like a, um, <laughs> a nationwide exam that you should be able to pass. Anyone with a pulse should really be able to pass. But um, I, I was always much more into mathematics, economics, um, physics. Like my, I guess my mind. Um, is more comfortable with numbers and equations than it is with words and 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 that's that kind of thing. So 
Um, so the fact that I'm a writer is still a surprise to me. I ne never thought that um, that would have happened. But what, what happened was I was at City Group. I was there for four years. And um, I went to night school to study accounting. And I got a professional accounting qualification as well, which I've always loved accounting. And um, but I didn't like working at Citigroup. I found it stifling and I wasn't doing what I really wanted to do, which was research investments. Instead, mm -hmm. I was I was working in a cubicle. I was working for a trading floor. I was managing spreadsheets. And basically, I was doing whatever my boss told me to do. And I didn't, I didn't have the, and I was commuting every day. And um, it, I just wasn't inspired by that at all. It just, it, it wasn't how I had man, imagined it to be. And, and another thing I should add is, in addition to, to um, studying investing, I, I, I loved reading books about investing. When I was a teenager, I read Liars Poker. I read Barbarians at the Gate. I read, um, um, I read about Michael Milken. I, I read about... Um, the, the big takeover crazes. I, I read. I read lots of that sort of um, literature, and and so that really inspired me to go and work in the city or on Wall Street. But as I said, it wasn't quite as I had imagined it to be. And so, another passion that, that I that I've always had are are railroads, freight trains specifically, not passenger trains. I'm not that interested in passenger trains, but. But freight trains I'm really interested in, and I have been ever since I was a kid. Um, we used to have uh, uh, model, used to build model railways when I was a child. And, um, and then any time we were in the car with, with my parents and I saw a train track, I would always pester them to stop and see if we could like, see trains coming, etc. So I just, I just had this like, fascination with trains. And, um, I decided um, instead of working for Citigroup and, and, and Bill didn't get back to me right away. So I just, I quit my job anyway. And I went to America and started backpacking around and, and trying to catch rides on freight trains like a hobo, like hobo style. And um, I'd sort of been inspired by that because in, the internet, an email was quite new at that point and newsletters were quite new and I'd been reading Bill's email newsletter and, and I decided to write my own email newsletter back to my friends who all had cubicle jobs in London and to describe to them the series of misfortunes and mishaps that I went through as a, um, as a young investment banker trying to be a hobo and, um, and I had plenty of mishaps to write about, and I just really wanted to entertain my friends and make them laugh. You know, it wasn't it wasn't to show off or anything else like that. I just really wanted to to entertain, and that is is where I first sort of started writing and and getting interested in writing. And um, and from there, I think um, I think Bill and um, and Addison and, and some of the other people at Agora kind of saw that I was, in a way, a unique because I, I enjoyed writing, but I also enjoyed 
or, or had experience with of professional finance. And I think it's quite a rare combination. You know, finance guys are interested in numbers and spreadsheets, you know, and writers are interested in poetry and art and right. Right. Yeah. And, and literature. A... And, and they, this is a rare crossover there. And I, I was that. So, yeah. Anyway. Well, a rare crossover, I guess that, um, you know, it's not so often that you get a, a hobo investment banker. So, yeah, there is a there's a, a unique, uh, a unique flavor to your approach. And as you were describing uh, that this sort of chapter of your journey, then I'm thinking about something else that I know you and I are very interested in. And maybe we'll do a separate podcast about this. But as you're talking about the texts that you were reading and just consuming voraciously as a teenager, it's that autodidactic nature that I think when, you know, some people, as you mentioned with uh, with the GSE, they may not gravitate toward traditional learning, but uh, they may have a passion or a flair for something. And if they follow that dream, whether it's on a, on a railway or into, uh, you know, investment biker books or liars poker or whatnot, um, yeah, that can really nurture a lifelong love of something in which you bring uh, a passion and dedication that is often very rewarding. So, mate, let's fast forward a little bit to um, when, you know, you, you were working at Agora for a while, writing some very successful newsletters, uh, the 12% letter, and, and doing a bunch of research with a lot of people whom I think probably a lot of our readers and listeners would be very familiar with, a lot of uh, personalities in the investment uh, newsletter industry. You had a bit of a break and then you kind of picked up again, uh, what would it have been sort of 2015, 2016 or something when uh, you got together again with Bill, spoke about a Dow trade, a Dow gold trade. And this is kind of chapter two, I guess, maybe of, uh, of yeah, no, involvement together. Much later, actually, more like um, 2008, uh, 2019, actually. Okay. 2019, so not 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 very long ago. We're what, 2022 now, so th- three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what happened was um, uh, Kate and I, my wife, and and our kids. We went off traveling. I'm, I'm sure it, most people are familiar with the story because I've beaten it to death. But um, we we went off traveling, and I I started writing. I stopped writing. I I, I wrote a newsletter for the best part of 10 years. And then I, I went more into the publishing world where I, I, I started a publishing company and I, I stopped writing and I, hi, I hired analysts to do the writing and I, I kind of built a publishing business. So I, I really stopped writing at that point, which, um, you know, to, to try something different. And, and it was after we went traveling that I, I, I got the, I guess I got the call inside me to, to start sharing again. And that's, that's when I started writing uh, emails back to my friends, basically. That's, again, it's the same story. I just, I wanted to entertain people with, with our stories. And, and as you alluded to before, we, we were not staying in five-star hotels um, and, you know, going to uh, theme parks and that, that to me is not interesting. And I, I wouldn't want, I just, I, I wouldn't want to read that. I, I, don't, I just don't want to read that. I want to read people who do things different or, or funny or 
shocking. You know, I want to be entertained as a reader. That's, I think I, I always think I really just write stuff that I would like to read if the roles were reversed. I think that's where it comes from. And, and um, there's nothing funny about someone going to a five-star resort and showing how fortunate they are to be by an infinity pool. There's just nothing, you know, or eating a, a, a gourmet meal. There's just nothing funny about that at all. So um, I would never write about that. But but the way we did it, we, you know, we were like backpackers staying in, in, in really terrible hotels and youth hostels for like $4 a night. And, and that was quite funny, you know, especially how the, how the children reacted to that and how Kate reacted to that. And we were doing our, you know, doing our laundry and like sinks and, and, and hanging them up on you know, anywhere we could find a, a corner. And, and um, anyway, so I'm rambling, but that's how I got back into writing. And then, um, and that's also at the time where um, I, I hooked up with Bill and Dan and, and we, you know, I, I started doing something more serious. Mm. Yeah. So I guess that brings us to, uh, from a kind of personal background to a little bit of where the rubber begins to meet the road, because um, as I have been uh, reading along with, along with others, uh, your, your journey along the way, you took what I think most people would consider a pretty big plunge um, or at least something that's very entertaining to read um, and that's with your Dow Gold trade and kind of going all in, as it were. Uh, I think a lot of people were were intrigued by that. It's not a it's not a kind of usual or uh, you know orthodox way to go about one's uh, one's investing life. So maybe catch us up on a little bit of that backstory, and then we'll get into um, what we're doing now and your role as investment director with Bonner Private Research and what we're looking at going forward. Yeah, there's a lot to that. I think people's reactions surprised me um, because I I didn't feel like I was doing something risky or, or crazy or wild. To me, gold is really like the most boring, the, yeah. the, the most risk-averse <laughs> thing you could do. Like it's... Um, like doing anything else seems to me like adding risk. So at the time we were traveling and um, I think we were in Central Africa when I, when I first started like withdrawing all the, all the money out of our bank and, and, and purchasing gold. I was, I was doing it on the phone, um, ordering gold in, in boxes and um, yeah, to me that was. I, I guess I looked at the situation, and and if you go back to to this was this was in um, sort of uh, the fall of 2018. At the time, gold was, was it was much lower than it is today, and and the stock market was. Um, well, that was also lower than it is today, but at the time it was at an all-time high and, and valuations were still really high. And, um, you know, we were in a bull market and um, I, I just wanted to be safe. And so, like, part of the reason going to gold was for me, like, 
I'm on sabbatical. I'm sitting on the sidelines. Yeah. Just I don't want to think about investing at the moment. I don't want to worry about my savings. I don't. I don't want to stress. I want to sleep well at night. I want to have fun with my family. So to me, that's why I went to gold. Gold is like, as I said, I was surprised that people thought it was sort of risky or or ill-advised. But to me, that was just the best way I could sleep well at night. Mm-hmm. It was nothing more than that. Um, so, so that's that's what I thought of it. And you know, if you look back over history, um, there are times when the stock market does very well. Like I am, I am not a gold bug. I'm not a gold guy. I, I don't like. I don't buy gold out of some philosophical like distrust of system or anything like that i'm actually an investment i like stocks i like investments and i intend to have our savings in the stock market most of the time to Mm. me there is no better way to grow wealth passively outside of having your own business like as passive investments there is no better investment than the stock market. Right. I mean, that, that, that's just a fact. And it's, it's, um, so, so that's where my, my interest lies. I, I like investing and I aspire to have my savings in the stock market as much as possible. Right. And so, so it has to do with timing, really, uh, what, what you're saying, that there's times a, that timing, you want to be yeah. in secular bull markets and times where you want to kind of, Write it out on the sideline and and uh, surround yourself with with safety. <clears throat> so, for readers who aren't perhaps familiar with this trade, it's 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 essentially you're you're looking for the ratio to hit five or or something loosely around there, where that's a kind of a signal to you that it's time to uh, sort of get off the get bench, as it were, and and dive back into the opportunity. So, gold is to maintain and preserve wealth but when the time comes and when bargains abound valuations drop back down from the stratosphere and and you see some uh, some opportunities there with the kind of research that you're doing that's the time that you deploy some of your wealth um, and have it sort of work for you is where are we at along that right now do you think where 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 we were when i first made the trade mm-hmm. more or less and we, we can talk specific numbers, like the, the Dow Gold ratio back then was above 20. I, I think it was um, sort of more like 21 when I made the trade. And, and you're right. Yeah, that's, I'm effectively betting that the stock market is a bad deal. And I'm trying to time it so that the stock market falls and I'm able to get back in when it's a good deal. Like I, right. I'm effectively bargain hunting. So uh, selling out at the top, waiting, hoping the stock market goes down in terms of gold, and then I'm going to buy back in, and then I'm going to wait for another cycle. So it's, yeah, it's, it's effectively bargain hunting. And at the time, uh, it took about 21 ounces of gold to buy a, a unit of the of Dow. And, and today, it's, it's a little bit below that. It's... Um, I think off the top of my head, 19 something. So mm-hmm. um, more or less the, 
and in the in the meantime, it's been about three years. Uh, the Dow has fallen drastically against gold, reaching uh, about 13 um, at the bottom of the Corona meltdown. Sort of, which sort was of in March, February, March, March 2020. 2020. Yeah, right. Yeah, so so I was up, um, yeah, 30 or 40 percent um, on that trade for a for a second, but then. Uh, <laughs> You know, the authorities came in with a load of printed money and mm-hmm. and uh, stimulus and you know inflation and and then it bounced all the way back. So now we're back. We're basically back where we started, right, and uh, right. we're waiting. Well, I, so, so this is this kind of feeds into something that you were writing about in your January issue, uh, and maybe I'll just take a moment to to point out to listeners who aren't aware, um, as the investment director of Bonner Private Research, Tom's paid investment um, strategies are available in a monthly newsletter format. Tom also does weekly updates with uh, with Dan Denning, uh, Dan on Fridays and Tom on Wednesdays. And this is along with a bunch of other, you know, private, private Zoom calls with members of Bill's um, sort of inner network of um, of analysts and thinkers and strategists and um, real estate investors. We've got a bunch of people that we're going to bring into these uh, private Zoom calls, webinars, anyway, a whole host of other things that are available to paid readers. And I think I'm not being too cheeky in um, admitting that I think we probably, we, we may have priced this thing wrong because at a couple of bucks a week, I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a price hike in the in the future. I hope I'm not letting a cat out of the bag there. But um, if readers or listeners are interested in signing up for I think probably the best deal going right now when it comes to uh, quality investment research and the things that Tom, Dan and Bill uh, are doing for our paid readers goes above and beyond. So I'll put a link to that in uh, in the transcript and you'll be able to find it on the website. But Tom, to get back to your January issue, uh, just picking up from where you left off there, you touched on inflation volatility. And this is something that we've obviously seen sort of whipsawing in the past you know, from the low of a, of a Dow Gold ratio at 13, they pumped these trillions of extra dollars into the system. And then, you know, we see things just going absolutely crazy. You described this in uh, in your January issue as inflation volatility, and it's going to be sort of a bumpy road ahead. Um, do you want to maybe dig into that just a little bit more? And then we might get to uh, what's on your radar uh, for coming issues. Yeah, of course. So, again, this, the, these are sort of quite quite complex ideas, um, but the gist of it is that there hasn't really been much inflation for a long time. We've been living in a world with with very moderate levels of inflation, uh, basically, basically our entire lives. Um, and uh, to me, um, I, I, I started anticipating or expecting a, a sea change in, in 2018 when I sort of finished my sabbatical and, 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 and started, you know, rolling my sleeves up and getting back to work, the, the, the thesis that I basically hung my hat on was that inflation 
was going to make a comeback. And so I'm, I'm gratified that I, was, that I was right. I mean, we, inflation is now 7% year over year, mm. which is something we haven't seen. In a, I've never seen in, in my adult life. Uh, and, um, and uh, you know, Bill, Bill's seen it before, but, yeah. but it's been a long time. So I think 40 years, it's, it's about 40 years since prices were rising at this pace, right, which, which is yeah, a whole generation yeah. of people who haven't witnessed this before and are just now confronting it, <laughs> maybe not know, know right. quite what to do about it. So um, that's very important. That's very, very important because um, if, if you, if, if let's, let's say, um, the, the 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 Fed and the and the central government um, have both found a way to stimulate the economy and to basically any time there has been the suggestion of a recession or any type of crisis they throw money at it and 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 the the results have always been good they've always headed off that crisis and got things back up again. And so the question you ask yourself is, why can't they always do that forever? And why can't every other country always do that? Like, what is, what's, what's stopping that going on forever? And the answer is inflation. It's the only answer. Mm. It's, the, it's the only thing that, that prevents them. And for many years, there hasn't been inflation and there has been no check on that behavior of bailing out the economy or, or reinvigorating it with inflation, with stimulus. So now we have inflation. T to me, that changes the whole dynamic of the relationship between the central government and the free market, and between the central bank and the free market, and between the complicated ways that professional investors think about risk and reward. You've got inflation now. It, it, it completely changes the game. Mm -hmm. However, um, I, I always wondered if it would sim simply be a case of no inflation and then inflation. And, and I don't think I don't think that's the case. I think inflation, my, my gut sense is that it's going to be capricious. It's not just like a light switching on and now we've got inflation, right. which I think I imagine a lot of people, Imagine that's the way it is. Oh, now it's going to be inflation. It's going to be the end of the dollar. Like uh, there's the, the 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 whole the whole world's going to going to melt down. I, I don't believe that's the case. I think it's going to be um, persistent but capricious inflation, where it goes up and then it tricks you, and then it, and then it disappears again. And um, and so that that's what I mean by inflation volatility, and and it makes for um, it's going to keep everyone on their toes, that's for sure. And, and it's, what it does is it, it prevents you. If, if you knew, for example, that it was going to be nonstop inflation of 7% a year every year for the next 10 years, it'd be quite easy to, to invest. Right. You know, you, you just you buy Very gold. Predictable. Or, um, Very predictable. Yeah. It, it, and, but, but because it's not going to be like that, what it means is you can't just, you can't just position your portfolio in one way and just leave it and then and then not have to think about your investments again for 10 years. 
I don't think that's going to work. I think, unfortunately, we now have to um, we have to sort of uh, have a, a rotation going on in order to to prosper, which which is going to be very difficult for the average investor. Yeah, for sure. And I I'll just um, piggyback on what you were saying there. That in that treating uh, inflation as a kind of limiting principle to just infinite um, monetary stimulus, one only needs to look to, I'm coming to uh, you here from uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina, which is obviously no stranger to economic catastrophe and rolling uh, decennial crises, usually under uh, underpinned by money printing and inflation and all the kinds of usual suspects. So right now we have officially 50% inflation and you know, I, you you would have experienced this, of course, on your travels to various countries. But it's for for readers and uh, and listeners who have spent a generation growing up with more or less stable prices. Uh, what you what you have just said about inflation and it being uh, akin to a kind of a kind of emergent property where it's it's constantly in flux. It doesn't it doesn't increase at the same rate all the time. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's um, it's a hugely volatile and unpredictable environment where you know, storekeepers and people who are keeping inventory have to constantly readjust their strategy, uh, even just reticketing prices on inventory, merchandise, et cetera, et cetera. And for for investors, it's a you know it's a really really difficult, um, really really difficult environment to navigate. So let's go to. Looking a little bit forward, we've got uh, probably some some rough uh, rides ahead, as you said. But uh, you, we've been talking behind the scenes about some kind of contrarian plays. Did you want to mention anything, perhaps, um, uh, with regards to where you're looking next and the kind of opportunities that are sort of just popping up on your radar? Sure. Um, so. The reason I, I love gold is because, um, by my estimation, gold performs well in both um, while inflation is high and also when inflation disappears. In fact, gold relatively, I think, will, will perform best when, when there is deflation and, and, and the stock market is... is under pressure and risk assets are under pressure. I think that's when gold has its best relative outperformance. But during times of inflation, gold will do do okay. Also, it'll mm-hmm. it'll keep up. And and a lot of people have asked, well, gold hasn't done very well over the last year, and that's in spite of uh, the the Fed monetizing like four trillion dollars of of um, government bonds. So why? And um, I mean, I think I think. Gold anticipated it and 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 has, has risen quite a lot since 2018. And um, so um, I, I I like gold because I think it it, it it's like an all weather it's an all weather um, asset. Um, that said, um, the, the stock market and and the investment markets, just as you say, that this this sort of capricious inflation is a nightmare for investors. I think there's a there's another sort of meme out there that that in times of inflation you need to own stocks 
because stocks are, are real assets producing cash flows. I, I disagree with that. I think the evidence shows that, that stocks do not like inflation. They, stocks like um, like 2% inflation is the sweet spot. If, you, if it goes higher or lower, the stock market doesn't like it. It withers. So um, I lost my train of thought where I was going there. But um, No, I think, I think we were going back onto... Um, Onto some of the opportunities potentially that you're right. so, looking to help readers navigate what are, I think probably I would agree are going to be pretty volatile. Uh, it's a ahead. nightmare. Yeah, it's a night. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but my base case is that we're heading into a nightmare for most investments, and um, and even even the uncertainty. Investors hate uncertainty. It alters the models. It alters the the spreadsheets. So. So my base case is we're heading into a bear market and generally a nightmare for, for invest for passive investing. Mm. And so um, the only investments that I'm really willing to, to write about or even look at are things that have not done well over the past, during the bull market years. Yeah, like anything old, that's been inflated, old economy. I think you were calling them old economy uh, investments, things oh, that are right. Uh, old economy value yeah, stocks. That value stocks. Um, that's it. And then there's a whole other sort of thing here. The, the market at the moment and over these these last since the 2008 crisis has has really put a high premium on, on future growth, and and that's because interest rates have fallen, mm. and 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 because interest rates, especially corporate bond rates, have 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 gotten like down to sort of 2%, 3%, even junk bonds got below 4% for a little bit last year, which was below the rate of inflation. So effectively real interest rates below zero, effectively debt finance is free for companies. Mm -hmm. And because of that, obviously they borrowed tons of it. And then they bought back their, their shares, which, which was a, a completely rational thing to do. Yep. And um, but what it meant was that equity holders receive big payday. They got you know a, lot, a big a big a big source of cost for the average corporation was removed, and so equity holders got a bonanza over the last ten years. In addition to that, the 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 stock market looked into the future at all the future earnings and capitalize them at much lower discount rate, which basically means that, therefore, the, the price must be marked up. And so you've got this, these two tailwinds that have effectively really caused a huge bull market in growth stocks, in companies that, that have a long runway of profit, profitability into the future. And at the same time, investors completely shunned companies that do not have that long runway of profitability and growth into the future. Uh, and these are companies which, which, which basically tend to be old economy utility type investments where they, they don't have growth. They have cash flow, they, mm -hmm. they're profitable, but they don't grow. And so the, 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 the most simple example of that would be a bond, a corporate bond that that um, pays a, a coupon of six percent a year. Like that, that 
does not get valued very highly in the in the sort of uh, the market, the fashion for investing over the last ten years. And so, um, yeah, as I, I'm a contrarian, and I think that that inflation is going to reverse that dynamic, reverse those trends, reverse those fashions. It might take a while, and so the the only thing that I'm interested in in investing in, other than gold, which I don't really think of as an investment, but more of as ballast or cash, mm. are investments that have been shunned over the last 10 years. And so if I'm wrong, we can't lose much anyway, because they've already been they've already like been depressed for so long. Right. But if I'm right and and we do get this sort of new sea change, um think the market may come to value a stable but but um, but uh, consistent cash flows with much higher multiples than than they have than it has been, and so that's yeah. why I've been looking at old economy. Like um, shipping is is my favorite in, as a broad basket, um, but also um, raw material producers mm-hmm. um, and. Yes, you know, steel companies or, or coal miners or um, or oil tankers or you know whatever. So yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it, it seems to make sense that uh, that in a world of uncertainty and unpredictability and volatility, uh, that steady as she goes, uh, you know, reliable, stable, cash flow producing companies that are at present. At least relative to their growth cousins, uh, deeply discounted. So, all right. Well, it sounds like there's there's going to be a lot of opportunities for uh, for savvy investors going forward to look uh, into into your research. When is your next? Uh, we're recording this uh, at the beginning of the month, so I think we've got about three more weeks until your next uh, monthly issue hits the hits the digital stands. Is that about right? Yeah, that's about right. Um... Uh, but I, I'm sort of like um, this new Substack uh, model. To me, I had in mind that I was I was going to publish a monthly newsletter, like I used to. But I now realise now we've been doing this for a month now that the medium, not necessarily um, that that it, it doesn't necessarily lend itself to having like a a long eight-page monthly newsletter, mm-hmm. and then, like, nothing in between. I mean, to me, that's quite analog. That's sort of like the yeah. old days where you'd, you'd write a long letter and once a month send it out to your subscribers. But now that the... Through the post. <laughs> yeah, through the post. So um, I want to ramble, but I'm not going to lock myself into recommending stuff once a month in a, in right. a long write-up. And then, and then sort of... So, so actually, um, every Wednesday now... I'm 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 just going to write an investment newsletter, and um, it, they may or may not have a new idea in them. But yeah, yeah, so, no, that's a, that's a very important point to to bring up because for people who've been following following along with Bill's new project, exactly as you say, Tom, it's a it's it's a new medium, and it it is allowing us uh, a lot more flexibility and to be a lot more nimble in the way that we deliver information and interact with readers. So uh, just yesterday, for example, we tested out uh, a thread on Substack, which is essentially we mail out 
uh, kind of like a research note, what you would maybe consider a research note from an investment firm. They identify a particular uh, point of interest, maybe a non-intuitive aberration in the market or just something that kind of captures the imagination. So Dan Denning uh, shot something out yesterday to our paid readers um, about gold and its, you know, its um, storied history in American monetary um, you know, throughout the, the 20th century. So uh, we had, yeah, just some huge involvement uh, and engagement from our paid readers who jumped on, uh, had a really great discussion. There were a couple of hundred comments. Uh, people were all very respectful and well-behaved. So it's just a really, really good forum where people can get in and uh, kind of nut out some ideas, uh, exchange some information. And there was a lot of really valuable discussion there. So we're going to keep on you know, discovering new tools and new ways that we can, um, you know, that we can present our very best information, including Tom, your your best uh, investment research, Dan's observations, and of course, uh, daily. Speaking of reliable and and stable and um, and uh, you know, just somebody that you can that you can always rely on. Bill is there every single day with all the wit and charm and. Uh, and panache that you've come to expect from his daily missives for the last goodness 30 40 years uh on on the case connecting the dots so uh tom i just want to say mate thank you very much for for checking in and uh, hopefully we'll be able to do this on a much more regular basis in the future yeah absolutely please just um just just let me know i i would love to keep doing these and i agree with what you said about the substack it's uh, it's quite new to me, but uh, I've, so far I love the. It's it's very comfortable, so very good way to 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 serve our audience, in my opinion. Excellent. All right, Tom, mate, thanks very much, and we'll catch up again soon. Cheers. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks, Joel. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bonner Private Research Podcast. You can find more conversations like this in the members-only section of our website at bonnerprivateresearch.com. If you would like to contact us, please address compliments and complaints alike to podcast at bonnerprivateresearch.com. We look forward to hearing from you either way. Until next week.